Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. Uh, And before we get into this week's episode, I just wanted to let you know that I'm hosting a webinar in a couple of weeks time at lunchtime on the 26th of April. uh, And we're going to talk about future property investment returns. So if you're a property investor or interested in investing in property, uh, what returns can you expect to enjoy over the next decade and beyond? So if you're interested in joining the webinar, uh, please register early as there's only 500 spots available and the link is in the show notes. I'll put it right at the top, uh, the registration link to learn a little bit more about what we're going to cover uh, and of course to register for that webinar. Okay, so let's get into this week's topic. And this week's topic really is around why I think property investors need to be fussier uh, over the next few decades than they were or had to be over the previous few decades. So whilst this episode's really about being fussier, let's talk about some investors that aren't quite so fussy. So every now and again, you're probably a couple of times a year at least, Uh, You would read a story online how an investor in their 30s has managed to amass, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 properties over a relatively short space of time. Uh, And the theme is, you know, how how you can do it too, how you can become a property millionaire. Uh, And uh, I always read those articles with interest and um, a healthy level of scepticism, of course. Uh, But I think there's a couple of observations that I'd share with respect to that. Uh, Firstly, we shouldn't be impressed by the number of properties that someone owns as it doesn't really tell us anything about their equity or wealth position. You know, boasting about the number of properties you own is sort of similar to uh, business people boasting about the number of employees that they have in their business. Again, that doesn't tell us, you know, how sustainable their business is uh, and more of it's uh, typically driven by ego rather than anything else in terms of advertising or espousing those benefits. Uh, Secondly, there's nothing impressive about borrowing huge, huge amounts of money. Uh, That is more than uh, what is sensible to borrow. Uh, To my mind, that is a recipe for disaster. Uh, Building wealth is a marathon, not a sprint. The definition of successful investing really is achieving the highest return for the lowest risk. And really, risk is really, another way of putting risk is the probability of success. So if you're going to take high risk, then there's a low probability of success, low risk, high probability. And so what do you want to do? Do you want to put uh, you know, your whole investment strategy at risk or would you like to de-risk your investment strategy as much as possible, putting it differently, um, increase the probability of actually achieving your financial lifestyle goals? And of course, the latter, that's what most people want to do. Uh, and there aren't really any shortcuts to building wealth. Building wealth just takes time. Uh, And a really good example of this is, you know, Warren Buffett has accumulated or it's said that he's accumulated, you know, based on uh, published data, uh, 96% of his wealth after his 60th birthday. So, you know, zero to 60 only generated 4% of his wealth. And really that just demonstrates what I'm going to talk about today is the power of compounding capital growth uh, and investing in assets that are going to drive good returns over very long periods of time. Now, I don't want to get bogged down in this, but you know, let's talk about how do people acquire a property portfolio of 10 plus properties. 
Now, of course, acquiring such a large number of properties within a relatively short space of time, let's call it five to 10 years, uh, feels impressive. But I guess the first thing is that uh, you can't do that without um, acquiring a lot of borrowings or really turning over property considerably or to, to a large extent, which is going to trigger a lot of costs, uh, capital gains, tax stamp duties, and those sorts of things. Plus also a 10 plus property portfolio tends to take up a, a, a lot of time really from a management perspective. Sure, you've got property managers, but property managers need to be managed themselves uh, by the investors, of course. So uh, I can only imagine um, that uh, you know having 15, 20 properties uh, is incredibly time consuming. Uh, there's really two ways that someone can buy such a large amount of property in a very short space of time. Uh, either they, they tend to have a business that is generating a large amount of profit and cash flow, uh, or you know they're in a profession that's uh, generating a substantial amount of uh, income. Alternatively, they're uh, dealing with uh, either one or many uh, unethical mortgage brokers or lenders that are just helping them borrow as much as possible, uh, and they might be bending some rules in order to do that. Uh, now, of course, the former explanation in terms of you know having lots of income and so forth that makes sense. But you know, my argument would be: Do you want to put all your money into property? Um, the latter is a, just a recipe for disaster. So that is borrowing way more than what you can afford um, is pretty crazy. And often the stories that I read about these people that have acquired ten plus properties, um, uh, they've done so on relatively modest incomes, or at least that's what they've disclosed. Uh, and again, that means that they're borrowing more than 10 times their income, which again uh, might work out in the short run, uh, but is a bit of a recipe for disaster in the long run. So I guess what I'm saying today is that, you know, the strategy of going buying a, a really large property portfolio, large in terms of the number of individual properties, uh, isn't, to my mind, the best way to build long-term wealth. Uh, and my argument is that we need to be more fussy as investors or property investors need to be more fussy in terms of asset selection than what they had to do a number of decades ago. And that's really around the fact that um, decades ago, you could probably afford to acquire two or three, four investment properties. So that is the average Australian probably could have, if they worked out how to do it over a period of time, maybe 10 or 15 years, they could build a, a pretty sizable property portfolio. However, in today's market, because of the cost of what it what it costs to get uh, buy an investment grade property, um, most Australians would be lucky to get one. Uh, and therefore, it better be a really good one because you're kind of putting all your eggs in one basket. You're not, of course, because hopefully you're investing in other assets uh, and you know, you're not just wholly and solely relying on one asset to generate all your investment returns, but in terms of your property investment strategy, that is. So if we look back into to 1980, so 40 years ago, 40 odd years ago, uh, the median house price in today's dollars uh, in Melbourne was only 200000 and in Sydney, 315000 That's in today's dollars, so adjusting for inflation. So, uh, of course, that was really quite affordable. And if you had a look at, you know, what would a, say, single-fronted investment-grade Victorian cottage in, say, a, a blue-chip suburb in Melbourne like Paran uh, would have cost you in the 40 years ago, and it's about 300000 in today's dollars. Now, that same property today... Uh, would cost uh, north of one and a half million dollars. 
So as you can see in today's dollars, holding everything the same, borrowing capacity incomes, which of course have changed over that period of time, but holding those things the same, uh, it's conceivable that you could have bought two or three or four of these investment properties. And even if only uh, you know a handful, you know, three or four of them worked out as really great invest investments, you're still going to make a lot of money. But, it, but in this market, you've got to be a little bit more diligent, or I'd say a lot more diligent uh, with respect to asset selection. Now, we also have to remember that there wasn't such a, a mismatch in pricing in blue chip, what we would regard now as blue chip suburbs compared to outer suburbs 40 years ago. Uh, so, you know, 40 years ago, there wasn't as much congestion and there wasn't, therefore, the benefits of living close to the city as it is today. You know, essentially, really, our capital cities were quite immature and they've matured a lot over the last sort of 40 years and so forth. For example, about 40 years ago, a house in Bentley, and Bentley is a, is now a, a really good suburb and, and certainly property has done really well, uh, mainly thanks to the McKinnon School Zone. But for those that don't know it, Bentley is about 20 kilometres out from the CBD. So it's not really one of those blue chip inner ring suburbs, but um, it, it's still a, you know, a relatively good secondary suburb from an investment perspective. Anyway, 40 years ago, a house in Bentley would have cost roughly the same as a house in uh, Paran, which is, and Paran's only about 8Ks from the CBD and certainly is an investment grade suburb. Whereas today, a house is going to cost you $1 to $2 million more uh, than a house in Paran, than a house in Bentley. So really that has occurred over the last 40 years. So 40 years ago, you know, we were lucky that you could just sort of almost buy any old property in an investment grade suburb and you could buy multiples of them. And even if you got a couple wrong, uh, you're still going to do okay. Today, it property costs so much more. It's more expensive. It's very, it's more difficult for people um, to buy multiple investment grade properties, not impossible. And you can do it over, you know, longer periods of time, particularly if you've got a really uh, significant family income and, and surplus cash flow. So not impossible, but more challenging, which means we need to be more diligent with respect to asset selection. Now, it's not impossible that buying any property anywhere might do well in the short run. And that's the difficult thing is that, you know, sometimes articles, podcasts, those sorts of things talk about, shorter term investment returns. You know, I could buy, could be lucky, get my timing right, go and buy in a secondary or third sort of suburb and double my money within seven years. Um, and that is, uh, that, I mean, that's a great return, no doubt. But, you know, after I, you know, pay selling costs, repay the mortgage, capital gains tax, you know, that's going to eat away at my return, particularly over a relatively short period of time. The net income might have been okay. So at, at a top line level, it looks like a great outcome, but really does it help me uh, build significant wealth over multi-decade periods? Well, only if that return persists. But we know that, you know, just looking at basic supply demand fundamentals, um, it, you know, it, it's very unlikely that that sort of return is going to persist. So that's one of my concerns is that sometimes these analysis and, and profiles of investors and so forth are over relatively short periods of time. And the big question is, have they invested in the types of properties that are likely to provide that perpetual capital growth that's likely to outperform the market continually over multi-decade periods? 
Now, I'm not seeking to denigrate or diminish anyone's uh, um, achievements with respect to building wealth. You know, if people have been out there trying to build wealth and, and, and proactively doing that, that's fantastic. And so I'm not trying to shoot that down. All I'm saying is that taking very high risks by borrowing lots of money to invest in average quality assets might work in the short term if you're lucky with market timing, but to my mind, isn't the best way to build long-term wealth. Now, using the Warren Buffett statistic that I gave you at the beginning of this episode, that is that he's accumulated 96% of his wealth after his 60th birthday, uh, it sort of demonstrates or, or is a great demonstration of how compounding capital growth works. And so what the, in order to really uh, generate substantial wealth, you really need to um, buy a really good quality investment and hold it for many decades. And in the first few decades, you're really not going to receive much of your return, much like Warren Buffett only accumulated 4% of his total current wealth um, in his first 60 years of his life. Uh, and so therefore, if you want to be a successful property investor, what you need to do is invest in property that has the attributes and fundamentals to really outperform the market over three, four, five decades, that long, very long period of time, rather than trying to find property uh, or interest in property that's going to have a, a really good spurt of growth over the next five years. And so if you're trying to do that, what you need to do is level up in quality because what you need to do is invest in an area where there's the greatest imbalance of supply and demand. Um, and that's and when there's going to be a, a, an imbalance between supply and demand to such a large extent, that gives you the greatest probability of uh, outperforming the market over very long periods of time. So I've got a link uh, in the show notes to a chart that's also in the blog, of course. And what it does is profile a $1 million investment property growing at 7% per annum. And it breaks up that capital growth over decade periods. So in the first decade, the property appreciates in terms of equity by about a million dollars. In the second decade, 1.9. In the third decade, 3.7 million. And in the fourth decade, 7.4 million. So in that fourth decade, on average, your property is appreciating by $740,000 a year. You can't spend that much. Well, <laughs> some people could probably spend that much, but it's going to be really difficult and, and probably very fun to spend $740,000 a year. The point is that we need to hold property for a long period of time to really generate substantial returns. That's the first point. The second point is you need to invest in property that is going to still be in very high demand for four decades from here. Uh, and if you want to reduce your risk, then by buying a better quality asset, a better than average quality asset, to my mind, you reduce your risk. Because if the average is going to do okay, well, then the, the above average is going to do better than okay. Anyway, it's quite a compelling chart. Uh, I suggest you check it out. So really, just to sum up the theme of today's episode is that the more expensive the property becomes, the more important it is to only invest in high quality assets. You really just don't have a large margin for error. Uh, an investor that bought property 40 years ago didn't need to be as worried about quality because they could buy multiple properties. And as long as most of them worked out, then at a portfolio level, they're okay. Uh, and, you know, investment grade property was relatively cheap. You know, an investment grade 
house didn't cost much more than you know a house in the outer suburbs uh, so it, they didn't have to be as much as diligent as as you need to be today uh, of course we know all that's changed uh, and its quality has become absolutely critical to reduce investment risk for property investors Okay, that's it for this week. Just a reminder about the webinar that uh, I'm hosting on the 26th of April. Link is in the show notes. Check it out. I hope you can join me. That's it for this week and bye for now.